Today on CityCast Denver, in J.R.R. Tolkien's The Lord of the Rings, a palantir is a seeing stone, a dark and magical object used by the evil Lord Sauron to observe and communicate across great distances. Build me an army worthy of Mordor. So Palantir was a curious choice when billionaire libertarian Peter Thiel was choosing a name for his data mining company. Thiel told a friend explaining the marketing, you know, it's, it's better be, to be seen as evil than as incompetent. Palantir, the company, moved their headquarters to Denver a year ago, and they're finally starting to poke their heads out into the community. So I think it's time for us to get to know them a little better. You know, big companies, they don't care about privacy. They just want the, the CIA's like baddest, biggest, baddest, you know, software. And, and that's what Palantir is selling. It's about conveying this kind of all-seeing, all-knowing eye. Today is Monday, October 18th. I'm Paul Caroli, in for Bree Davies, and this is CityCast Denver. Max Jaffkin, welcome to CityCast Denver. Hey, thanks for having me. So, we are going to talk about Palantir, which needs maybe the tiniest bit of introduction. For listeners, it's a billion-dollar company. It moved its headquarters here to Denver a year ago. But as the Denver Business Journal recently put it, they are emerging from a stealthy cocoon that they've been in since arriving. They were a marquee sponsor of Denver Startup Week last week. They recently moved into a bigger office downtown. But also, we have the privilege of this new book, The Contrarian, your new book, Max. It's the, the first real serious biography of Palantir's founder, Peter Thiel. So what better excuse to talk about this company? And I think we have to start with Peter Thiel. Who is he and why is he worthy of such a thorough piece of reporting? So he is a uh, a venture capitalist, a a technology investor um, who has been involved in, you know, many of the most important companies that have been um, founded over the last, I'd say, like 25 years. Um, Probably most famously, he is the co-founder of PayPal, you know, the way people buy and sell stuff uh, uh, on the Internet. And he sort of parlayed that into this uh, career as an investor. Um, during which he was the first outside investor in Facebook, really, you know, kind of like one of the key, probably the key mentor and advisor to Mark Zuckerberg. He has uh, basically been involved with, you know, dozens of companies that you've heard of, Airbnb, uh, Lyft, uh, uh, SpaceX, pretty much any tech company that you've heard of is connected to Peter Thiel in one way or another. Either he's an investor or one of his close friends, members of his network is an investor, or, you know, it's like it's like uh, six degrees of Kevin Bacon or something. You can get to Peter Thiel very, very quickly. And all of that would be, I think, very, you know, like interesting enough reason to to write about this guy just because, you know, obviously Silicon Valley has grown a lot and he'd be a way to, to understand Silicon Valley's power if it weren't for this other twist, which is that Peter Thiel is also a, a, a major um, political figure, especially in conservative politics. Uh, he was early supporter of Donald Trump and has kind of uh, positioned himself as a uh, patron, kingmaker, kind of like Koch brothers type figure to the far right. Now, now all this is interesting, but Thiel also has this view that kind of overrides pretty much all of this. And that view, which I think has been very influential in tech and does have kind of a political dimension, especially when we start talking about Palantir. Um, and the view is basically that tech companies are uh, creating the future 
and that tech founders are this privileged class of of person that that they should have maximum freedom, maximum leeway to uh, build companies and and to make the future happen as quickly as possible. Well, let's talk about that future you said Peter Thiel has been trying to make happen for a second. And we'll fast forward just a bit through his early life and pick up in the early 2000s. He's co-founded and sold PayPal at this point, And it's around the time when he's meeting Mark Zuckerberg and investing in Facebook. Where and when does Palantir come into this? Yeah, so PayPal had developed this technology, or it's not even really a technology, more like an approach to dealing with mon- money laundering and and other kinds of fraud on the platform that involved network analysis. So looking at who is selling what to whom and and use that to try to figure out what are the legitimate transactions and what are the um, what are the bogus ones. And um, if you remember post 9/11, there was this sense, um, especially uh, you know on the Republican side, but I think most people, most Americans, kind of had this sense that we had failed um, to 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 do enough to stop uh, the attacks, and in particular, we had failed to kind of like sift through the um, enormous amount of information that these hijackers were generating. So you had guys taking you know taking flight lessons in Florida and buying one way plane tickets, and you go back to the you know 9/11 Commission report, right? There's a lot. There's a discussion about whether we could have um, you know, picked up some of these signals. And so Palantir was basically um, Peter Thiel taking that approach and trying to sell it to the U.S. government as as a solution to the problem. So we are going to uh, bring Silicon Valley engineering to bear on this on this very difficult problem of, of data mining for, for security. The more we know, the more terrorist plans we can prevent and disrupt, and the better we'll be able to protect, protect the American people. And so that was the that was Palantir, and and it basically was growing, but not not growing that well. You know, kind of kind of just like I said, sort of puttering along more or less until about um, uh, 2016, uh, when when Trump was elected, and shortly after that, they 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 started getting a bunch of gigantic contracts. So now Palantir, y- y- you said a billion dollar company. It's actually like more like a 50 billion dollar company. I mean, I haven't checked the market cap uh, recently, but yeah, you know, they're 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 worth you know in the tens of billions of dollars. They have um, you know I'd say billions of dollars in contracts with the government, as well as lots of big contracts with big companies who 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 sort of like the idea of applying this you know military grade technology as they see it to um, business problems. This episode is brought to you by the Colorado Wine Board. Because the wine community here is like surprisingly robust. I mean, think about Bigsby's Folly and Infinite Monkey Theorem here in Denver alone. And there are urban wineries all across the Front Range. Then there's the Western Slope, Peonia, I mean, Palisade. Hello, Palisade Wine. Are you kidding me? It didn't used to really be a thing. But from what I hear, it's very much a thing now. There are more than 165 wineries across Colorado to explore, and they produce all sorts of wine that reflect our unique culture and climate. So finding a label that you're going to love is easy, no matter where your adventure takes you. Discover it for yourself and support local winemakers at coloradowine.com. That's coloradowine.com. So Teal leverages his relationship with Trump to get this big contract. The company starts to turn around. All the while, people are protesting Palantir in the street. Why would someone want to protest a company like Palantir? 
I think I think for the most part, um, they they have been protesting because Palantir had contracts with ICE um, to help Donald Trump secure the border. And they had a contract that existed prior to the election of Trump, but but of course Trump changed, you know, what ICE was doing. Um, Palantir was kind of party to that, was you know, as critics see it, complicit in that, and they renewed the contract uh, after the fact. Behind me, you see a group of protesters who are protesting against Palantir out of fear that they might build a Muslim registry. We're going to go talk to them about why they're here. But there is another issue that I think was bubbling up even before this that is probably worth talking about. Now, over the years, um, Palantir has been sort of, you know, like I said, the, the, the kind of teal philosophy is basically like it's great for startups to kind of push the limits. They, it's good to, to sometimes break the rules. And we've seen Palantir over the years, pushed ethical limits in various ways that have created, uh, you know, cause for concern among privacy ac- advocates. So, so the first and um, possibly the most concerning instance, back in its early days, Palantir pitched a program for like a large financial institution to conduct an information operation against um, journalists who were, you know, favorable to WikiLeaks. So, so there are these slides talking about basically like trying to intimidate Glenn Greenwald, um, you know, the 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 journalist who who had been, you know, the, he's the one who Snowden leaked the documents to, um, and Palantir was involved with that. They they apologized. CEO Alex Karp, you know, who's still CEO, said, you know, I had no idea about this. We'd never do this. Um, but as I talk about in the book. Um, the people who were actually involved in putting this together did not get dismissed. And in fact, they got promoted. So they didn't act as if this was something that was super bad. So so, so, so there are questions about kind of privacy and, and just how great they are as custodians uh, uh, you know, of, of people's uh, private information or, or as a company that makes software that ultimately helps you know, guard people's private information. And then there is the, uh, you know, the connections to the Trump administration. Good evening. I'm Peter Thiel. I'm not a politician, but neither is Donald Trump. He is a builder, and it's time to rebuild America. Now, while this is happening, Thiel and his allies have been beating the drum and started to beat the drum basically for the past couple of years about the extent to which they see Silicon Valley as being hostile to um, conservatives, and in particular, um, anybody who wants to do business with the U.S. government. Hmm. So he, you know, with great fanfare, uh, announced in 2018 that he was moving to Los Angeles. And um, because he said it's Silicon Valley has basically become, you know, North Korea and, you know, it's 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 not um, it's not comfortable to be here. And we saw that message kind of get amplified and and kind of built upon by Alex Karp, the, the CEO of Palantir. As the pandemic recedes, do you move back to Palo Alto or are you in New Hampshire for good? I'm pretty happy outside the monoculture in New Hampshire, and I like living free here. Does Palantir stay in Silicon Valley? Actually, if I had to guess, I would guess something like Colorado, but I, I, we, haven't, we, haven't, we haven't decided. Now, I think um, it's not just that. I think like the, the pandemic and the way that it's led to this kind of diaspora of tech workers who've who've you know who basically left the bay area to to work remotely you know that has sort of opened the door to tech companies moving outside of silicon valley in a way that they probably wouldn't have thought so but but i think palantir um partly because of teal 
and and partly because they are invested in 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 the politics of this you know chose to present it that way and chose to present the move as something that was you know having to do with the fact that silicon valley was inhospitable to you know to a to a defense contractor so max i know this um this last question is not really your specialty i mean you just came from this big project on teal but we're here in Denver. We care about the impact. And I know that uh, when you're not writing about Teal, you're a reporter with uh, Bloomberg Business Week. And so what, what do you think we can expect in terms of um, maybe like the more urban impacts of a company like Palantir moving here? Uh, the the knock on these companies is that the workers come in, they're very privileged, right? Now I'm talking about the Bay Area, right? The the typical tech worker, you know, wakes up in San Francisco at, you know, whatever, seven o'clock in the morning, gets on a bus, a private bus from San Francisco that drives him or her um, down to Palo Alto and spends and you know where that where he or she goes to Facebook or um, or Google or Palantir, where they spend, you know, the next like, you know, whatever, twelve to fourteen hours in that building for the most part. And maybe they go for a bike ride or something, but but these campuses have catered meals, they have um, you know, laundry, they have um, gyms, they have, you know, yoga, they have like everything you could possibly want. And in fact, Silicon Valley companies have sort of designed themselves to um, you know, cater to the every need of their employees so that they never leave. And, you know, that's great if you're a tech worker, you get paid, you know, a couple hundred thousand, three hundred thousand dollars a year, um, very low, few expenses, you know, you don't pay for any of your meals. And um, but it's not super great for um, the, the surrounding communities. Now, I don't know. I think there are some reasons to be a little more optimistic. Right. And not assume that it's just going to all you're just going to get the same you know, you're just going to have like Denver's going to turn into like, you know, Mountain View or something um, where it's just like a bunch of bunch of like corporate campuses and then like, you know, third wave coffee shops and like nothing else. Because the, the things that make, you know, Palo Alto or whatever objectionable, as I'm saying, from like an ec- economic development standpoint, are also objectionable to many of the workers, right? They don't want to live in, in a, you know, in these like kind of you know, apartheid-like cities where there's like a tech overclass and everybody else. And like, that's why many of them, you know, left San Francisco or left the Bay Area in the first place and moved to places like Denver, you know, during the pandemic. So I think in some ways, Palantir is chasing these people. And so it's it's actually these people that are going to decide, you know, kind of what the workers who are going to decide what, um, what the economic impact is. I also think that Palantir, you know, had a great run during the uh, the Trump administration, right? They've grown a lot, um, and and now you know it's not clear what's going to happen next, right? I think I think uh, it's so far so good, but you know uh, again, like these contracts tend to be political. Um, there's also a, a historic uh, you know stock market bubble right now, and and of course a lot of these employees are are really benefiting from that. Those things could go away, you know. Palantir, um, the, the political winds are going to shift at some point. That will hurt Palantir. The stock market will dip. That will hurt Palantir, but it's possible that could actually help Denver because the way these ecosystems work is that if if some of them left Palantir, a lot of them probably stay and start companies, and and I mean that that's the main way that like economic development has happened, you know, in the Bay Area, and with a company like Palantir that has this. Um, you know, I, I think the the bloom is off the rose a little bit with them, but they had a, a long run where they were like the hot employer in Silicon Valley. They were they were competing with Facebook and Google. So you have a lot of like really brilliant people who work at the company, and they are not all going to work there their entire lives. And and some of them are going to start companies, and hopefully from an economic development standpoint, they'll they'll start some companies there and. 
raise money. There's already a venture capital community there. So you could imagine that like that that Denver actually has some of the infrastructure where it could do something with this rather than just uh, be in a situation where, you know, it's it's just like an island of tech um, that that doesn't actually peel off. So I would be optimistic, even though I, even though I think that the the like the the stated rationale is is kind of bogus. But but I but I think it could actually have a positive impact. Huh. Fascinating. Fascinating. I was not expecting that to be where we end this conversation, but I but I like it. Max Chafkin, thanks for joining me on CityCast Denver. Thank you. It's a pleasure to be here. And here's what else is happening in Denver today. I don't know if you've been following this story about the Pandora Papers, but Denver is officially in the thick of it. If this is the first time you're hearing about it, the Pandora Papers are a tranche of secret documents that exposed some of the many ways that the super wealthy stay super wealthy. And one of the stories journalists have found so far is about the Denver Art Museum and a few Southeast Asian antiquities connected to an international looting and smuggling operation. According to the Denver Post, the museum still has six stolen objects in its collection, but they're doing research and have begun talks with the Cambodian government for their return. And hey, I mentioned this on Friday, but we're talking about what I've been calling Denver-style, mission-style burritos later this week. It's Chipotle versus Illegal Pete's. We've been talking about this matchup for a while, and I have to say, I think some people are going to be surprised about where we all come down on this. We want to hear your thoughts, too, so leave us a voicemail with your name and neighborhood, and we might play it on the show. The number is 720-500-5418. Oh, and please call especially if you're a Qdoba fan. I've never actually met someone who'd go to bat for them, and I'd really love to. That's all for today here on CityCast Denver. And hey, if you care about the show and want us to keep at it, the number one best way to help right now is by rating and reviewing the show on Apple Podcasts. That'll help us reach new listeners, which means more people for you to speculate with about whether Peter Thiel is going to be at the stock show this year. We'll be back tomorrow morning with more news from around the city. Until then, have a good one. At Palantir, we salute you, the builders, the entrepreneurs, the outsiders who are grabbing your tech arms and organizing yourself to change your world, our world, for, for the better.